Alright, hey guys, it's Luke, back with a, uh, a new podcast. I'm uh, taking a break from telling you about how my exciting training is going. So <clears throat> this is actually a post I've been working on a while, and uh, well, I've been thinking about for a while, but uh, with the recent recent happenings with uh, the marathon last last couple weekends, it's been... Um, a good time to re to revisit some of the stuff I was looking at as far as research, but uh, so I think you'll find I think you'll find some use out of this. Um, I think uh, I think this can pertain to to a lot of people. Uh, so originally, why I started this post was because um, a person had asked in our Facebook group. They basically asked about the how to avoid a late marathon fade, and we weren't necessarily talking about bonking, right? We weren't talking about losing minutes per mile over the last few few miles. We were we were talking about losing, you know, 10, 15 seconds a mile over the last, you know, three, four miles. And so it was like a definite slowdown, but it wasn't necessarily that, you know, hit the wall bonk. And so, you know, the easy answer on that would be, you know, you need to uh, look at your nutrition. And you know that was that's definitely part of it, but uh, is it all of the answer? And I don't think it is. And uh, so I want to dive into that. And so you know what really kind of uh, there's an article I'm going to talk about here in a second. But um, really watching Kipchoge's sub two hour um, marathon kind of put this back into to the to the forefront. Um, and it's interesting because you can feel you can feel however you want about the sub two hour thing, you know. And I, so many people are all upset about it, and you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I guess I'm fairly fairly indifferent on it because it wasn't set up as a race, and it was never intended to be a race. It was just a flat out just line it up, see how fast you can go. And, you know, the shoes are the shoes and the pacers are the pacers, whatever it is. What it, but it was just a, to me, it was just a, a grand experiment to see how fast you could get a human being to run. And, um, you know, unfortunately, so we saw that. And then like the next day you saw um, Bridget Koskai break, you know, the women's, mar- the women's marathon record and run 214. You know, and then the shoe thing came back up and, you know, whatever. And then I forgot about the, the Alberto Salazar ban because it just seems like you just kind of counted him as being dirty. But that's just from knowing a lot over the last, just pretty obvious, some pretty obvious things. But whatever. Um, so you you have all of that and you have, so you basically have Nike who, you know, on the sh- on the one side, you would just say they push the envelope, and on the other side, you would say they blatantly break laws and morals and all that good stuff. So, whatever the case is, how you feel about that, I'm not going to talk about that per se. But I will say that their, uh, I guess, desire to push those things and and have the whole sub two hour project and thing brought on a lot of research, and so. Um, you see a lot of things that it was really because you have a guy who's already is the best in the world, right? He's the best in the world at event. How do you get him to be just a few seconds per mile faster than what he is now? And to me, that was really kind of what brought, you know, so they did the research to check 
every little detail to eke out all that little bit of per performance. So it has brought, you know, you can take the shoes out of it, you can take the drugs out of it, whatever, but you could, you, you have their research that will uh, show some revelations and expansions on what really happens in, in fatigue. And so in July of this year, 2019, um, there's an outs outside magazine has an article titled the real Re the real reason marathoners hit the wall. It's by Alex Hutchinson. So if you, I would recommend his book endure if you haven't read it already. It's a great book and it's pretty interesting because he was kind of brought in to kind of consult some things. And, you know, I think he kind of thought the whole vapor fly thing was kind of some hocus pocus stuff. And then you were seeing what these guys were doing with this shoe and it was pretty, you know, he was basically turned the corner on it, but then, and then watching the first sub two hour attempt in, in Italy, I think, um, you know, definitely change, you know, it was, it was exciting for him and he kind of definitely changed his thoughts on it, but it, it's a very, I mean, the whole book is very good, but, um, the article he writes about was about the sub two hour attempt and what researchers were looking at to kind of get those details that we're talking about. Um, and it was talking about, um, an idea of critical pace. And so I think cyclists know more about this is, you know, critical power. A lot of times it's called, but critical velocity, whatever the case is, but essentially it's an idea that's <clears throat> simple at its simplest form is basically separating the point between really hard work and just hard work. Right. And so, um, there's some articles that are cited in this in 1991, an article, uh, from Joyner, um, for the, uh, I think it was the Mayo, Mayo Clinic. Um, this guy Joyner writes that, and this is quote, running economy then appears to interact with VO2 max and blood lactate threshold to determine the actual speed at lactate thr threshold, which is generally a speed two or slightly slower than that sustained by individual runners in the marathon. And that's kind of what they were describing as critical pace. Um, interestingly, using that model, he'd actually proposed that a human could run 157.58 uh, by a runner with a VO2 max of 84 mLs per kg per minute and a lactate threshold of 85% of that 84. Um, and both of those numbers are very similar to what Kipchoge um, has. So, and this was back in 91, so this was almost 20 years ago. Um, so very, it's very interesting there. But, um, but so this you're basically looking at, you know, if you know your pace at lactate threshold, um, you know, I, I was kind of confused. I don't know if they were saying that was actually critical pace or if that was just what they were using to predict what you could run for the marathon. And keep in mind that is for really more for, that's going to be more accurate the faster you are. Um, that was, so that was really looking more at elite level uh, runners. Um, but essentially, like, you can kind of get an idea based on that. But the idea of critical pace is you know when you look at you have you talk about thresholds all the time but you know we have the lactate threshold which is kind of um you know some people say it's four four millimoles of blood lactate some say it's just that point of deflection some call it the mlss which is the point of maximal lactate steady state which is the point where you if you don't go beyond that point your blood lactate won't go up exponentially you cross that point your blood lactate goes up exponentially um, so there's a lot of different things on there. So I kind of was looking around and you have the th three minute test. Um, you have a series of three different tests that you can do with certain amount of rest in between. Um, but 
uh, then I was looking through what, for runners, what was more kind of practical. And so I kind of came across some of the uh, Coach Tim Ann Schwartz, um, who's out in Colorado. He trains a lot by critical pace, it looks like. And I don't, honestly, I don't know a ton about his stuff, but if you follow his group, Tin Man Elite, I mean, they've got some really great performances, especially on the track and shorter road races. And he uses this as really kind of a staple for training. And he says, you know, you can extrapolate that out to the marathon and things like that. But he defines it as basically the pace you can hold for 30 minutes. And so if you go by that, a lot of you are going to be, for most people, that's going to be between 5K and 10K pace is that critical um, that critical pace velocity. So if you know that, um, you can really kind of determine um, really kind of your ability at anything. But it all stems around basically lactate threshold, but more importantly, how fast you're running at lactate threshold. So, which is interesting because we talk about VO2 max all the time. And I know Steve Magnus, it's on, you know, the fallacy of VO2 max, but I think that's pretty well known at this point was that actually having a, like I've heard it described as having a VO2, high VO2 max is basically just a ticket to the dance. You know, like if you train hard, your VO2 max is going to be um, higher than your peers, right? Higher than most of your, your colleagues. And when you look at people that are um, of similar ability, most of the time their VO2 maxes are pretty similar. It's other factors that separate them in performance and it's running economy, things like that. But it's all kind of re- related to this critical pace. But um, so that was... So that, I think that's really what we're, we're really focusing on is if that running economy, that lactate threshold, that pace at running economy uh, or at lactate threshold and all those things, those are really the factors that are going to be determinate in how fast we can run a marathon. So beyond that, they also looked at this idea of anaerobic capacity and how uh, Mr. Hutchinson describes that as I thought this was great, is it's basically you picture it as a full tank, like a full tank of gas, basically. And the more you work above your critical pace, uh, the faster that tank depletes. So that tank is basically from critical pace to VO2 max and above VO2 max. And that's your anaerobic capacity. So regardless of, um, and this is what's interesting about when you look at other things, but you know, when we look at energy systems, it's not all just one energy system. It's two energy systems that working simultaneously and so you're depleting carbs and you're depleting fat at the same time you're not so you're not burning 100% fat um, and saving those those carbohydrates it's you're burning both at the same time it's just depending on what rate each is being burnt on and so above your CP, CP, CP you're going to be burning more and more carbohydrates so the faster you do that uh, the more you deplete that anaerobic capacity tank and so when he was saying is basically as a race goes on you have less and less of that anaerobic capacity to draw on, so that leaves you at less and less of ability to pick up the pace, cover moves, things like that. So, like a lot of times, we go late into a race. It's you can't, you physically can't pick it up, and that's a part of the reason why. So, um, so looking at the actual research that they did, they uh, runners, um, a runner's uh, critical pace was tested using that three-minute sprint that I was talking a little bit about um, when they were fresh. So after zero minutes of running. I just did a three-minute test, and then after 20 minutes of, of running, 40, 80, and 120 minutes below their critical pace. It was more like a moderate type of, of running. And what they found was that at 120 minutes of subcritical pace running, regard, even though they were below that, 
critical pace actually started to decline and did so by about 9%. So as for anaerobic capacity, that declined steadily from 40 minutes of running 10 by 10%, and then it went down to 23, down 23% and then at, at two hours. So basically after 40 minutes of running below your critical pace, your anaerobic capacity starts to decline. So you don't even have to be above your critical uh, pace to start seeing a decline in, in um, anaerobic capacity, even from a short period of time. And then you look at critical pace, that's actually going to be declining after you get to two hours of below critical pace running. So, so you can be, so basically what's interesting is that you can run um, below critical pace and still see reductions in both of these numbers. Uh, and what they found interesting was that runners, elite runners, can run within 4% of their critical pace for the marathon. So that's obviously going to be less for lesser trained people. And what that means is that even at a pace that feels comfortable at the start of the race, it may very well reach a sudden point where it's no longer comfortable. And I think many of you fully understand that part. All right, so how does nutrition play a part in this? So by taking uh, 60 grams of carbohydrate, and they did they used the, the Martine gels, or the Martine drink at the time, um, the reduction of uh, critical pace was minimized. A critical pace was not affected, or I'm sorry, carbohydrate did not affect anaerobic capacity. So as this deplete, depletes, you may slow down very minimally, or you may be forced to be stopped in your tracks, depending on how close you straddle that line of critical pace, right? So the closer you are to that, the more abrupt that uh, slowdown is going to be. So what this means for you is that elite athletes can run within 4% of their critical pace. So I think what ideal, I, what I'm guessing, and I don't, this is just kind of deciphering from reading this, these things, is that you have your critical pace and then 4% less than that is probably going to be pretty close to lactate threshold for those elite runners. Because um, critical pace is going to be slightly above lactate threshold um, if it's between 5K and 10K pace. And then... Um, it might even be like 12k pace for 12 or 15k pace for um, elite runners. But anyway, in regardless, it's it's going to be about lactate threshold for 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 most of us. So if you you have a lower lactate threshold, it explains a lot as far as differences between recreational runners and all the way up to elite runners. So it's safe to say that recreational runners are going to be much less than that four percent number. And like I said, I haven't seen anything concrete. But I find it even, I guess even what I'm saying is that the lower level you are, obviously the lower that number is going to be off of critical pace. So you might have a person who's trying to run a five-hour marathon. They're probably going to be, that, that number that they can run a marathon at is probably going to be like their aerobic threshold. And the aerobic threshold is simply where you start seeing um, kind of a crossover between fat and carbohydrate being used and you start seeing a slight increase in lactate production and then you get to lactate threshold and it's a, obviously a much more abrupt use of carbohydrate and um, uh, lactate production so uh, so that's where and then it, as you can move up the line so recreational runner is going to be above aerobic threshold a sub elite runner is going to be or a competitive runner is going to be um, above that and then all the way up to elite where it's just basically going to be at lactate threshold. So I know there's not anything specific and that's kind of what makes it the problem of pacing right, right? Because we don't know, like, it, like we said, it could feel pretty darn easy 
but we're still bleeding that tank of anaerobic capacity. And you couple that, even if we are below critical pace, our critical pace is still going to reduce over time, no matter no matter what. It's just a matter of uh, basically time. You know, we're, and most of us are going to be out there for more than two hours, so we're going to start seeing that reduction in critical pace, regardless of whether or not we're running below that pace. And then you couple, you know, so it's it's a kind of you know, it's you got thresholds coming down, you got tanks being depleted, all at the same time. And the problem is that early on, it's a very comfortable pace, but it, it eventually is going to catch up to us. All right, so trying to make sure I didn't miss anything here. So the bottom line, any amount you go beyond what you are capable of early will be the amount plus some when you reach that back third of the race. So like if you're, you know, maybe that's five or 10 seconds too fast per mile, that means you're probably gonna lose significantly more than that in the back third of the race so like maybe that last six six to eight miles of the race if you're if you're pretty close to where you should be it might only be a few seconds per mile you know and then obviously the more extreme that crossover is the more extreme the abruption of reduction in pace is going to be so i know that's very very confusing but basically what you need to know is that just running a comfortable pace is still probably going to put you in a little bit of a hole so in terms of nutrition, we know that anaerobic capacity is dependent on the glycogen stores already in the muscles. And, and that even though it appears that ingested carbohydrate during an event doesn't alter the capacity. So however, we saw that carbohydrate intake during the marathon will reduce the, the decline of critical pace significantly. So the role of carbohydrate to ingestion during the marathon is even more important for that than it is just making sure you have enough fuel in the tank, right? Um, but it's the fuel you're taking in leading up to the marathon, making sure those glycogen stores are fully loaded that is going to help your anaerobic capacity. So how do we improve that? Well, I just said a couple of ways we could do that, taking, making sure we get into carbohydrate in during, during the race and making sure glycogen stores are fully, um, fully stocked up prior to the race. But other than that, we can go into improving running economy. This can be in a number of ways. It can be done through losing fat weight, preserving muscle mass but losing fat weight, improve strength and mobility, better fuel utilization, improving form um, in our strides. And then the second thing is training at critical pace. And this is a, like um, Coach Schwartz described, CP will affect primarily our intermediate muscle fibers. If you train with a lot of speed, then you'll make them look more like fast switch fibers. If you train with a more like a 10K half marathon, you'll get them to look a lot more like slow twitch marathon fibers and that's really the way we want to go so if you think about using Hansen's marathon method and you think about those early blocks of speed think about those as using those for your your critical pace training right so um, that's why I always say 10k pace right I'm not necessarily telling you to do 5k pace 5k pace might be too fast for you if we slow those down to look more like a pace we can hold for 30 minutes so maybe between 8 and 10k pace for a lot of you you're going to be a lot. You're going to be a lot better off, you know, because what I talk about all the time is speed is relative to the, the the distance you're racing. So in the marathon, we don't necessarily need all the 5K stuff, uh, but 10K stuff that's going to train those intermediate fibers, and then you're going to have to have those to use as looking more like slow twitch fibers, which is going to help you significantly in the marathon. Don't neglect your carbohydrates. We talked about that. Um, Taking 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour of the event. Implement strategies to preserve glycogen stores during the event, which is, you know, <clears throat> lots of, uh, you know, foundational mileage, easy mileage, build up those, uh, the ability for fat to be utilized. This can also be through diet where you're not completely 
eating just all processed sugars and things like that. The carbohydrates you're getting for the most part are going to be more complex carbohydrates. Your stomach, you can train your stomach over time. Um, so that, that mix of high quality carbohydrates um, and then in the right proportions of fat and protein, you'll, you'll be in a much better situation. And then be careful with your pacing. Even if you feel comfortable and you think today's the day, wait for the second half of the race to be aggressive. Because remember, even early on, if it feels comfortable, you're still depleting that anaerobic capacity and you're still going to affect that, that critical uh, pace. So this is why you got to be really, really careful early on. And I saw this a lot at Chicago and I'm not sure what happened, but I saw a lot of people who were just significantly too fast. And, and I don't, you know, it's one of those things where I think they thought if it was 15, 20 seconds, that was still in the, you know, kind of the standard deviation of being okay. Um, and it really came back to bite them in the end. I saw a lot of people do that. Whereas other people were actually a little bit slower those first few miles and actually kind of ramped it up during the whole, the whole race. But it makes it even more important to just not get caught up in a situation and crowd situations and just take it out too fast because even being 10 15 seconds faster than what you want to be you can do that for two or three miles it's going to be significant so if you find yourself fast fix it right away and if anything be a little slow and build into it it's you'll be okay if you're 15 seconds slow at the mile don't worry you have 25 miles to make up 15 seconds that's less than a second a mile you have to make up right so you don't have to make it all up at once uh, but on the other hand, if you're way too fast, you do have to slow it down right away because you're going to you're going to cause that damage way too soon, and you're not gonna you're gonna set yourself up to be, you know, in that boat where it's you're gonna lose more time um, than what you had in the bank. Um, but all in all, this is an extremely limited look into the smallest the smallest of marathon fades. But um, it can explain a lot of what happens to runners and I've definitely been in this boat too where like you know I've been running I think even my best marathons I was basically on pace through 22 to 23 miles and then it just kind of it, it's not a hit in the wall but it's definitely that there's a sudden drop in pace by 10 to 15 seconds and so you, you'll go from being on pace for a negative split at 23 to being slightly off of uh, even pace um, by the end of the race so you can still lose even losing 15 seconds a mile when you're trying to balance that that fine line it can make or break things right so we have to be careful but the biggest thing is like it just stresses the fact you can't go out too hard you have to understand and know and realize what your marathon pace is and how that feels and not get caught up in <clears throat> even being a little bit too fast especially earlier on you know if you're going to get fast get faster after halfway don't don't be too aggressive early on. It's just going to bleed that tank as, as it was described, and it's going to affect that critical pace. So, um, But it's interesting because it's not it's not necessarily an issue of, of fuel, which we would always say, well, they ran out of carbohydrates. Well, it, you know, it might not be that because, you know, you look at yourself early on versus later, and you can see those changes in forms because maybe you weren't doing the core training and the, you know, you didn't really work on hip mobility and things like that. And your, your stride, your stride changes, which is going to affect your economy, which is going to throw that critical pace off. And all those things get affected based on, you know, it's a, it's a, all these things coming at different sides, but you know, it's kind of like what uh, Hutchinson was saying is like, that just adds to the mystique of the marathon and all these little variables that we have to kind of figure out and account for um, that, make it exciting, but also frustrate us at the same time. So, but, um, uh,
but I just wanted to look at that, and I thought that was interesting, interesting article, and it kind of really tied in really well to what the question was actually being asked. So again, I mean, look at don't get caught up in just uh, VO2 max. Get caught up in you know overall strength and how that's going to improve your um, your running economy, your ability to hold form late into a race, ability to um, have that critical pace not be de decreased as much through the proper type of speed training. And then also I think it goes into effect like when you get into that rut of going marathon, 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 and you don't really do a full speed segment where you hit on some of these things, that's where it can come up and, and bite you too. So you kind of you kind of lose a, a little bit of um, that ability the more and train just for, you know, one event, you know. And so it, it makes sense to come back and hit different events where you're working these different things. And that overall makes you going to make you a better uh, marathon runner. So... So I think that was interesting. Hope that helps you out. Uh, if not, at least something to kind of think about. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. All right. See you later, guys.